mission as the church, as the called out ones of God, as the born again believers. We have a mission, a mandate by God, a purpose on why we're here. And we've got to get a hold of that mission. We've got to get a hold of it. So two, two weeks ago, I talked about uh, we need a holy burden. We need a holy burden to grip us as a church, as a people. I, 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 this is just me. I don't know. I don't have like a Bible to back all this up, but this is just me. I don't think we can just develop that on our own. I think there has to be a, a movement of the Spirit in there somewhere that plants that in our hearts. You know, God, Jesus was fully man and fully God. All the Godhead dwelled in him bodily, and the passion was in him because all the passion was in him of the Spirit. And so we, as the church, uh, we're not fully man and fully God. <laughs> we're fully man with the Holy Ghost dwelling in us. And, uh, you know, we ward our flesh every day. We've got to deal with this guy. And, um, you know, the things of the Spirit are at enmity with the things of the flesh. And so uh, to just think that we're going to develop the spiritual heartbeat of God just kind of passively, I don't believe that's going to ever happen. We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to seek for it. We've got to ask God to do it, and we've got to be open to let God do it. I think a big thing with the burden is, is he just going to put a burden on us, and we just allow that burden to rest there? What are we going to do with the burden if he gives it to us? Are we going to act on that burden? Are we going to let it drive us? Are we going to let it lead us? Are we going to be the church? So with that being said, last week I talked about our, our mission is that we have to have unity, and we have to have unity for the mission. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that we do in life, but our number one goal and our number one mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the heartbeat of Jesus. He said, I came to fulfill the Father's, or to be about my Father's business. Everything was about that. And just as he did it, he was our example, so that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that our lives are being focused and driven on the mission that God has set before us. And we've got to be in unity in that. We've got to be in unity in it. It can't just be the staff or it just can't be, you know, a few people here and a few people there. Everybody's got to get on board and unified in the mission. And we've got to make it our mission. Again, if, we don't, if we're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. It's just not because there's 50,000 other things you can do every day then fulfill the mission for that day. But if we make it our mission and we're intentional about it, God opens doors, and he just does little things. There's all kinds of little things happening. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just have this, this stuff happening, like connections. I'm coming in contact with people. Um, I'll talk more about that next week. I'm not going to spend time on that tonight. But it's just being open to letting God do that with us. Um, so tonight, I'm going to try That's kind of more the, the heartbeat of the mission and the heartbeat of the Father and it should be the heartbeat of the church. But I, I want to kind of start trying to move into something where we start looking at that a little more practical. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that really look like, right? Um, so this week, I'm going to talk about our mission is to be disciples. To be disciples. Matthew 28, 18. It's the great commission. It's the the great mission Jesus gave to the church. This is in four different settings in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then the book of Acts, chapter 1. 
but this is basically what it is. It's Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them to his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And I, I love it that he starts with that. That he starts off the whole thing with, I have all power. Okay? So what I'm telling you to do, you're going to be able to do because I have the power to give it to you to go do it. Amen. And he says, since I have all power in heaven and earth, go ye, you and I, each and every one of us, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know that name is Jesus Christ. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. So be it. That is the mission. That is our mission. That is the, 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 the great commission of the church. It's the commission of Jesus Christ with the body of Christ. Matthew 28, 19 in the, in the Amplified, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're, we're really good at the going and trying to get people baptized. We really push that and we talk about it, and we should. We really should. But there's a whole nether aspect to this thing than just getting people born again of the water and the spirit. We're supposed to walk with them and teach them and teach them how to obey all the commandments of God as God's taught us and other people have shown us how to do that. So, you know, I, I want to ask you tonight, how many of you are Christians? You can raise your hand. It's okay. We're in a church. It's all right. How many of you are Christians? But I got another question for you. How many of you are disciples? That one, we're not quite so sure, you know. You know so what's the definition of a New Testament disciple? Uh, most people in Christianity today would say being a disciple is equated with being a Christian. It's kind of the same thing, that they're one and the same, but they're not. They're not. They're, they're two different things. One should lead to the other. But for that to happen, we have to understand what it means to be each. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of Jesus. Being born again does not make you a Christian. Obeying the gospel, repenting of your sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, evidence with, spe with speaking in tongues, does not make you a Christian. That just makes you born again. That just makes you a new creature in Christ. That means you're adopted into the body of Christ, but to truly be a Christian is what you do after you're born again. You have to do what Jesus commanded us to do and live a life that follows Jesus' example for the church. And if we're not following after Jesus' teachings and examples, then can we truly call ourselves Christians? That's a question for you to ponder. On the other hand, to be a disciple has two connotations to it. It's not to simply to just follow Christ, but it, it, it takes that following of Christ a step further. When you look at the, the, the Greek definitions of the word disciple, uh, there's like two parts to it. So it's to, one is to be a disciple of one, to follow his precepts and instructions. And then two is to make a disciple, to teach and to instruct there's, there's two parts to it that go with being a disciple. One is following and one is teaching. One is, one is uh, being a pupil and the other one is being a leader. Okay? Intrinsically, so the things that are going intra, 
the things that concern me about being disciple, that's me becoming a pupil. That's me following somebody, okay? Transitively, so me transmitting what it means to be a disciple to somebody else, to hand that off to somebody, that means to instruct and to teach. So it's to learn and it's to teach. It's to follow and it's to lead. We're not, we're not as fil- familiar with the biblical language of discipleship as we are with the modern Christian language of being a follower of Jesus Christ. When we say are you a Christian? Many times people think about what Christ has done for them. They say, I'm a Christian because Jesus laid down his life for me. They say, I'm a Christian because he shed his blood for me. But when we think about what it means to be a disciple, this doesn't speak so much about what Jesus did for us, but rather, what are we doing for him? What are we doing for Jesus? We are only able to be a follower of Christ because of what he has done for us through the cross. But being a disciple is what we are to do because we are Christians. And so we fulfill the mission by building the kingdom, by populating heaven with souls. How do we build the kingdom? By doing exactly what Jesus did. Getting a hold of a person, revealing Jesus to them. And then walking with them and living with them and teaching them and demonstrating what living in the kingdom truly is and what that looks like in somebody's own life. But, but we don't just stop there, but we, we, we then need to put an expectation in them just as Jesus did with his disciples to do the same one day. And then releasing them to repeat the process with others. So let me ask all of you a question. Most of you have been in this church for some time. Most of you are born again. Most of you are doing your best to live for Jesus. How many of you are pouring into and teaching someone what it means to follow Jesus right now? How many of you are doing that with somebody who's been in the church less than three months or even in the church at all at this point? How many of you do that intentionally and consistently on a daily basis? From a technical standpoint, a form of the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. Three times. That's interesting to me. It was not mentioned by Jesus or the apostles, but by outsiders that were observing these Christ followers. The outsiders were the first to use the term Christian. Not the church and not those uh, that were actually being the Jesus followers. On the other hand, uh, it was the people that were outside the church that called those people Christians. They weren't calling themselves Christians. It was the people that were outside of them. Now, the term disciple or form of the word disciple is used over 230 times in the New Testament. 230 times. Jesus used the term to describe his followers. The the apostles did. The writers of the epistles did. So, you know, Jesus never said, go make Christians. But he did say, go make disciples. We've got to make sure that we're making disciples and not just Christians. So what's a disciple? Let's, Let's dig into what that looks like. A disciple is someone who follows... And so if there's a follower, then there has to be someone that is leading them. For there to be a disciple, there has to be a leader. You can't have a follower if there's not not first a leader. And we need to be thinking about that in our own lives. When we think about this city, 
there can't be a follower, there can't be people coming into the body and becoming the men and women God wants them to be if there's not a leader in their life first. First, there has to be a leader. Without someone to lead them, there can be no follower. There was a this was a prolific concept within the Jewish rabbi discipleship culture in the, in the first century. The rabbis would go up and down the dusty roads of Judea, and the disciples would be following them. And it was said that they were there collecting the dust of the rabbis' feet on these walks. It's kind of an interesting thought. Now, now, now listen to what I'm saying here. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. As they traveled, these disciples were imitating the rabbi. And they were listening to them expound on the things of God, embracing the values of the rabbi or the teacher, and taking in their nature while learning how to live a life and deal with life situations. There was a man that walked along, and he demonstrated. Not only did he demonstrate, but he talked about the kingdom of God, and then the people following were grabbing a hold of that, and it was flowing into them, and they were receiving it. The rabbi were an example or the model for their disciples, daily connecting with them and daily pouring into them. So let me ask you again, are you being a disciple? Are you, are you following Jesus while bringing someone along with you? Or are you just following Jesus? Not someone on the same spiritual level as you, because we're pretty good at that. But someone that you're, that you're pouring into and helping them to learn about Jesus and what it truly means to live for him in this life. You guys, we, we, we can't be hanging out with church people all the time. My God, guys, we just can't be hanging out with church people all the time. I mean, that's good. Do it. We need to do it. I'm not saying don't do that, but my God, that can't be all we do. If I'm hanging out with the same church people all the time, then I'm, something's not right. My mission is off. Now, hanging out with the church people is comfortable. And hanging out with the church people is easy. And hanging out with the church people is usually not messy. Usually. The best possible way for us to reach the world is to lead other people and let them imitate us. We make it, we make we 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 think about reaching this city and we get all this stuff in our head and we just think, oh my gosh, it's so such a big task ahead of us. Well, not really if you say, I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get one. Make up your mind, I'm gonna get one. I'm going to grab a hold of somebody. I'm going to find somebody somewhere. I'm going to let God lead me to them, and I'm going to grab a hold of them. I'm going to love them unconditionally, and I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to walk with them daily. I'm going to call them up. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to go out of my way to spend time with them and to pour into them. I'm going to be intentional about developing their walk with God. We... We need people to imitate our attitudes and our commitments to the thing of God. Hopefully, that's a good thing. Uh, Paul said in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have the same mind as him, but that mind's not supposed to stay right here. It's got to go to somebody else, just like everything else in the kingdom that God puts in you. It's not just for you. It's to give it to somebody else. The highest form of flattery is imitation. I mean, don't get goofy with that and get an ego about it. But people need to see Jesus in you as you and I, as we imitate him. People need to see Jesus in us as we're imitating Jesus. Now, when you study discipleship in Luke 14, Jesus asked some, some very important things of his disciples, and he put some demands on them. 
I think I'm pretty easy on you guys. I'm not too hard as a pastor. I'm not asking a whole lot off you. I don't feel like I am. I'm not very demanding of you guys, really, I don't think. Because Jesus was way tougher than I would ever be. You look at Luke 14 and 25, and he said, that There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and his mother, and his wife, and his children, and his brother, and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Not he might not be, not he could possibly figure out a way to get it done. No, he cannot be my disciple. And then verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If we look in Luke 14, Jesus says that his disciples must be willing to hate their own families. Not to cause dysfunction, but what he's saying was some of your family may not like you following me. Therefore, you have to be willing to walk away from them if it's necessary. There may be something that your family members, people you love and people you care about, don't like what you're doing for Jesus. Probably most of you know what I'm talking about, and you've been there. But you've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to let you influence me. I know who I'm following, and I know who I'm going after, and that's way more important than my relationship with you. What a staggering commitment that would be. Jesus also challenged them in Luke 14 to forsake everything. Hmm. That's one for us in 2021. Forsake everything, all of their possessions, all of their connections to the world, Anything that would get in their way of them following him or leading others to him. This wasn't negotiable. They had to get rid of it. He said, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to have to be, make it, be willing to make this type of a choice in your life. You're going to have to be willing to lay everything down. And then Jesus said a very curious thing. He said, take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up your cross what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean giving up smoking and drinking and sinful lifestyles and worldly pleasures? Sure. Certainly it is. Certainly that's all part of it. Does it mean giving up uh, your, your self-worth and, you know, your self-fulfillment and all this stuff? Sure. But bearing our cross is not just self-denial. It's not just about just a uh, all this stuff that I want to do in my flesh. But bearing our cross is not going to be uh, going to and being part of things we did before. It's not just being th- getting rid of the things out of our lives that we did before we came to Jesus. That's not all it is. That's all part of it. But I think there's way more to it than, than just that. I think Jesus is saying, I carried my cross for you to be saved. And now I want you to do the same for someone else. By coming alongside of them and, and giving, them your, giving them yourself to help them get saved, to help them find salvation in their lives. You're going to feel the weight of their sin just like I felt the weight of your sin. You're going to feel the weight of their struggles and their failures just like I felt the weight of your struggles and failures. You're going to have to slow down and you're going to have to spend time with them and live life with them just as I have done with you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you sacrifice and physical exertion and all those things that the people business takes out of us. But this is what you're to do. 
just as I did it for you. Jesus is describing what it takes to be a disciple. One who cuts everything off and forsakes everything else. One who makes the mission of reaching the lost and lead them to Jesus, their number one mission. One who picks up another and begins walking with them and to lead them to Christ. So to boil all this down, you'll know if you're a disciple, if you can answer this one question. Who is your disciple? Who is your disciple? Because disciples make disciples. A disciple is one who follows to lead. So this is a question we all need to ask ourselves today. Am I truly a follower of Christ then? Who, if I am, then who is my disciple? Who am I actively pursuing? Who am I actively leading? Who have I invited into my life into a disciple-making relationship that's intentional? Who am I connecting with in consistency with the intention of discipling them and pouring into them the things that God's poured into me to help them develop into the man or woman that God wants them to be? Not just getting them to the church, not just taking them here or there throughout, or talking to them here or there throughout the week, but being intentional about sharing life with them on a consistent basis so that they're getting a hold of what has gotten a hold of me and what's gotten a hold of you. A relationship with Jesus, not just in title only, but in a personal daily relationship with him that has transformed my life and it's transformed your lives. So who are you and I, who are you and I doing that with? This an, the answer to this question was the game changer for the first century church. Not just to know who their disciple was, but to then put the expectation upon them that one day they too were going to turn around and make a disciple themselves. That should be an expectation we all have. I got that expectation of you. I wonder what it was like when all this dawned on the disciples. You know, they're walking around with Jesus for three and a half years, and they're seeing miracles and water turned to wine and the dead coming to life and blind eyes open. And, man, they're the, they're the hit of every town they walk into. Man, it's like there's Jesus and his disciples. There they are again. You know, they're all lifted up. It's all great. It's one big, great, giant party. Spending time with the Messiah. But then they began to realize we're not here just to party. <laughs> We're not here just to have a good time and be blessed by the Messiah ourselves. This isn't just all about all this cool stuff. Jesus started saying things like, the things that you see me do, you're going to do them also, and even greater things. And you know, when we preach and teach this verse, we relegate it only to the signs and the supernatural. And I used it Sunday when talking about believing God for the impossible. And it does relate to that, but it, but it actually has greater reach than just the supernatural. Jesus is saying to them, I'm reproducing myself in you, and you're going to turn around and reproduce yourself in somebody else. This is the model of the church. And this realization was the game changer for the first century church, just as it is the game changer for us in 2021. The Bible says in Acts 2 that the Lord added to the church daily, but later in the book of Acts it says that the disciples were multiplied greatly. They went from addition to multiplication. So what took the church from addition to multiplication? Was it more miracles? Was it more supernatural demonstration? Probably. That was, sure, I'm sure that had something to do. I'm sure that was part of it. But what really caused the church to multiply was that all the disciples understood the definition of being a disciple. That they were, to, they were following one person while leading another person. They did both. 
And we today have to realize that every disciple needs to have someone that they are following, and they also have to have someone that they are bringing along. Of course, the one we're following is Jesus, but we got to have somebody bringing us along. We're really good at following Jesus. All of us are, but how good are we at bringing somebody along with us on that journey? Just like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, Timothy, the things that I've invested in you, you turn around and invest them into other faithful men who will then also train others. That's the church model. I get it. We got all these systems, and I'm okay with the systems. I like the systems. I think they're good. But we cannot just rely on the systems. God gave us the system. All that stuff's good. That's all part of the process, and that's fine. That's all part of it. But there's got to be a personal part where I grab a hold of somebody, and I don't just wait for Jamie to teach him first steps, and I don't just wait for him to go into Tony's ministry or into my wife's ministry or any ministry and let them be the ones that are teaching them. But I grab a hold of somebody myself, and I begin to build a relationship with them and a rapport with them, and I begin to live life with them, and I begin to let them see me living out Jesus' life through me, living out the kingdom before their eyes, and being intentional about speaking to them about the things of God. Man, when I was thinking about that, I was like, how many times do I sit around and talk about stuff? How much time do I spend talking about stuff? How much time do I spend talking about Jesus? That's a question to ask yourself. Start tracking that in your life a little bit. Rock me. I'm like, oh, God. Help me, Lord. Healthy, balanced disciples are following someone and they're leading someone. This was the New Testament church and how that first church was able to reach nearly half of the world by the second century. Literally 70 years without cell phones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cars. They didn't have none of that stuff. They didn't have a live stream to send out across who knows to where. They didn't have any of this stuff, nothing. Cell phones and the internet can probably actually be hindrances to discipleship because we don't have to actually meet to connect with those people. I don't have to actually get into their lives and deal with their stuff with them. They're just out there somewhere or they're a text away. But I'm not in their, I'm not in their life. I'm not sharing life with them by doing that. Think about this for a moment. What could happen? How exciting would it be? What, what could we do for the mission of populating heaven if we developed a culture in the youth department, the children's ministry, and our life groups, and the entire church, and the entire congregation? If we had a culture and an expectation in all of the people, all of the people, all of the people, because that is the expectation, not just the type A people, not just the excited one, not just the zealous one, but all the people, not just the people in leadership that, that direct ministries and whatever you look at as leadership, but in every person that there was a culture where everyone was following someone, but not only were they following someone, they were also bringing someone along with them. How great would that be? Man, well, we would double the church like that. Guys, we would double the church like that. We would double the church like that. And I, I'm not about the numbers. I'm really not. Except I do like to see the, feet, the seats full. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be real. I don't even have to be in here. We could still double the church. 
And then we would quadruple the church. And then we would whatever eight the church is and 16 and then 32 and whatever. I can't, I'm not, that's all I got, 64. Oh, and then 128. Oh, and 100, 256, baby. Times, not one person, not 256 more people. That's 256 times where we are right now. All we'd have to each do is that process. I don't even know what that was. Eight times, something, ten. <laughs> my God, my God. We need to build this type of culture here at NLC. We've got to make this happen and be able to model it for those that are, are to come. So when we're teaching home Bible studies or spending quality time with our disciples, We've got to put the expectation in them that they too will one day walk alongside someone just as we're walking alongside them right now. Like this is going to move on one day. Me and your relationship's great and I'm pouring into you. But there's going to come a day where you're going to have to go grab somebody. And you're going to have to start doing with them what I'm doing with you. I can help you still. I'll still direct you. I'll still be there for you. But you're going to have to do that too one day. If we could build that culture where it just flowed to every person that came into this church, we wouldn't have all the in and out. We wouldn't. You know, you talk about shutting the back door of the church. That would shut the back door of the church, basically. Like some people would still sneak out, I'm sure. It's the world. It's what we deal with. But you would shut it. There are ways that we can put that expectation upon people as we're making disciples. This was an ex- expectation that Jesus put on his disciples. Jesus talked about fruitfulness in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Guys, that's a sobering little two verses right there. At least it should be to all of us. If I'm not bringing forth fruit, he said I'm going to get cut off. But if I am, he said, oh, yeah, that's just the beginning. I got way more than that for you. You just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're going to bring forth even more fruit. He said, now you are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide the vine. No, no more can you except you abide in me. Of course, we understand we've got to be in Jesus. This is all mute if you're not developing your relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. If you're not consistently seeking after God to be strong in your relationship with him, you're not casting the world off you daily, doing the best by the power of the Holy Ghost to stay above all sin, this is all mute. But if you are, and you're abiding in him, then you will, or we should, be doing it. And it makes me wonder that if we're not doing it, are we really abiding in him? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That's the end for people who don't bring forth fruit. 
So in this, he talked about fruitfulness and maturity. So what is the fruit of a Christian life? Is it just the fruit of the Spirit? Like we did a whole big sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Man, it was great. Yes, that's part of it. Is it only the gifts of the Spirit? Well, when you stop and think about it, those are the gifts that God gives us. God produces those things in our lives. You can't produce godly love. You can't produce godly joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness. You can't do all that. You can't produce healing. You can't produce prophecy. You can't do that. That's God moving through us. But Jesus told his disciples, you be fruitful. So what is my fruit in, in other people? What is my fruit in other people? I can't, I can't give anybody the fruit of the Spirit, but I can model the fruit of the Spirit to my disciple. I can't give them all that stuff that the Spirit gives me, but I can show them what it means and what it looks like to live in the Spirit and to operate in the Spirit and what that means for them. So what's the real fruit that Jesus is coming to look for? I don't think that the fruit he's looking for is just us coming to church faithfully, paying our tithes and singing on the praise team, holding some title or some position. Those are important. I get it. We need it. It's all good. We need to do those things too. I mean, unless, you know, don't sing if you can't sing. (laughs) At least not with a microphone. Be like me. No mics. I tried that once. Won't ever do that again. But we need singers. But is that really what he's talking about, being fruitful? I don't think so. But I think what Jesus is, is going to come looking for is if we're turning around and we're, re, we're, we're reproducing ourselves in other people. That's the fruit he's going to come looking for. Every fruit tree that doesn't reproduce fruit is worthless, he said. It will be cut down, and it will be thrown away. That's a very sobering thought, my friends. But a tree that keeps reproducing fruit is a valuable tree. And it's taken care of, and it's pruned, and it continues to produce fruit. Every one of us in here know enough scripture to turn the world around. I'm going to say that again. You and I, you got enough scripture in you. To go out and transform eternity for somebody. Oh, I don't know so much. I don't know that. You know enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. My God. Repent. Be baptized. You don't even have to get into all that in the beginning. But repent. Be baptized. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God. You know enough scripture to transform somebody's life. Don't think that you don't. Don't let the enemy tell you, oh, yeah, no, you're not there yet. You're not ready. You only got to be somebody. If you got to get somebody who's here, and you're here so that you can walk with them and lead them along. And eventually, hopefully, they kind of get caught up to you, and then they start taking off, and then you grab somebody right here, and you drag them along. Drag. Bring them along with you. Don't drag them. If you're, maybe sometimes you got to drag them. That's all right. Grab them in the headlock and give them a hug and a kiss as you're doing it. And a word. You know, the enemy wants to say, ah, you're not mature enough. You, you, you're not there yet. You, you can't do all that. Yes, you can. 
Yes, you can. There was people, the, the Bible doesn't go into all this stuff about all these people. Some of those disciples that you read about, those people that were having mass revival all throughout that, the first church, some of those people that were doing that were brand new converts. They weren't the 12. They weren't the ones that had been hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years. Some of them were brand new converts. They just got a hold of the mission. And they got a hold of the purpose, you know. And if you feel like you don't know the word enough, then you need to get in the word. That's probably the issue. I remember when I was first getting in church, I was at uh, Brother Mendenhall's. And I don't even remember what was going on. There was a ton of people there. I think it was on a Saturday. And I sat next to these Jehovah Witness kids, young men. You know, they were like, I don't know, 19, 20. And uh, the service went on. You know, I was rocking. We had ah, church. Yeah, it was great. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I started talking to the guy. And, he, and we got on the, the, the topic of the oneness in the Trinity. And neither one of us did very well. I'm going, No. I know somewhere in the Bible, it says, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. That means everything that God is dwelt in him. He wasn't like a separate person and all this stuff. And he'd be like, no, there's a verse somewhere that says this or that. And I would, no, there's, you know, there's a verse here. And that's how the whole conversation went. And at the end, I was like, dude, just study it out. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I went home that day. And I got down on my knees, and I prayed, and I told God to forgive me. And I told him that would never happen to me again. And I went through my Bible, and in my Bible I got at home, the Bible I've had for, you know, the last 20 years or whatever, all through the back I have scriptures written down, all these scriptures on the oneness. I went through my whole, it's a Thompson Chain Bible. I started with, in the beginning, God. All the way through my Bible, where I could sit down with somebody and just go through that if I had my Bible handy. All these scriptures on baptism, on why you got to be baptized, and what you gotta, why you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. All this, I wrote it all in there, and I made sure that I knew it. Because I was never going to be caught in that situation again. So, study to show yourself approved, right? You divide the word of truth. A workman. And I can't quote it. I'm not good at quoting the scripture. I'm sorry. That's in Timothy somewhere. I know that. You can do it. You got the Holy Ghost, you can do it. God will lead you. The Bible says he'll lead you to all truth of the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit, he'll lead you. He'll tell you what to say to the person, how to help them in that moment. And it's not always the word, right? Sometimes it's a, hey, man, what can I do for you? I'm not going to get all that. That'll be next week, uh, more of the practical stuff. But, guys, we have got to make our heartbeat that I am going to reach somebody. And, and I'm not talking just grabbing somebody and inviting them to church and getting them in here. Do that. That's great. Do that. That's all part of it. There's, that's fine. We want you to do that, too. But that can't be the end-all, be-all. You know, I, I know there was a bunch of young people going to the youth, like eight, they had like eight guests coming to their youth um, life group. That's all good. And I know there were some of them that they were meeting with those guys outside of, outside of the life group, and they were connecting them. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. They're not here. I don't know where they're at, but they're, God's moving on them. 
And those guys are going to keep staying connected to them, and God's going to get a hold of them. Amen? But we got to do that. We got to do it. You got to do it. Each of us got to do it. You don't have an excuse why not to do that. There's not an excuse anywhere that you could give that you'll be like, oh, God, well, I didn't do it because whatever. And let me just say this. I was thinking about this earlier. I didn't even put this in my notes. Parents, 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 disciple your kids. But that doesn't give you an out. That's just a requirement of you for God giving you children. You disciple your kids. That's just part of the process of being a parent. That's not making you a disciple. That's you being a parent. It's, I get it. It's all kind of the same thing. But you still got to go out and reach people. You can't say, well, I'm just going to spend time on my family. My family is the most important thing. But this is the one this thing that God's given me. Well, yeah, that's good. Do that. Make sure you're doing that. But in the midst, you got to still reach people. You still got to go out and seek and save that which is lost. We just need to start doing it one person at a time. One disciple at a time. Don't get so wrapped up in thinking about, oh, there's all these people. No, just you go get one. Just get one. Who's your disciple? Who's your one? If you don't have one, you need to be praying earnestly, God, help me to find them. God, lead me to them. Lead them to me. God, let me be open. You know, I've been praying like crazy. God, I want a holy burden. God, I want a holy burden. God, I want the mission to be my mission. God, I want to see with your eyes when I'm walking down the street and I'm at the store or out in the park or wherever I'm at. I want to see with your eyes and I want to hear you when you speak to me. And when you move me, I want to respond. And I want to be open to that and I want to have enough boldness to be willing to do it. Trusting that you're doing something in that moment. My God, you don't know what you could do to somebody just by going up and talking to them. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I'm done. We have got to be about the Father's business. And we've got to make disciples. We've got to be disciples making disciples. I, I hope and I pray, and I'm praying this too. If, if you're not, if there's people in here, and I'm talking to myself. Look, I'm, I can't sit here like I've got this all figured out and I'm the best at it by any means. I'm not. I'm not. Like I fail at it quite miserably. But I realize that and I'm not going to keep doing it. Okay, I've repented over it. I've said, God, I see it. I see it. I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. I want to be what you want me to be, God. I want to touch people's lives. I want to reach people. Amen. And, and I, I just pray that you pray that over yourself. God, if I'm not doing that, God, show me. Don't let me deceive myself. Don't let me deceive, because you could. it could be more than just you. There's people, there's somebody that's waiting on you. Somewhere out there, there's somebody who's waiting on you to grab a hold of them and to love them and to show them Jesus. Amen. Just like somebody grabbed a hold of you and showed you Jesus. Just like he grabbed a hold of you and loved you and your mess and your mix-up and everything that was going on in your life and he still just reached